The following is a production of differentbrains.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. I'm very excited about today's guest because Gail Saltz, who does about 10 million different things, I've seen her on all of the shows. She's on all the big national shows. She is juggling a lot of things, so I want to read them to you so I don't mess them up. She's a columnist, a podcast host, a television commentator, a best-selling author. Her latest book is The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius. Uh, She's also a clinical associate professor of psychiatry in the New York Presbyterian Hospital and a psychoanalyst with the New York Psychoanalytic Institute. And she's at the uh, Wild Cornell Medical College. And Gail, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Now, what did I miss in your introduction you'd like to tell our Different Brains audience? Um, I I think you pretty much covered it. Um, But it happens that um, this latest book, and, uh, and to some degree, as well as my podcast, really focus on clearly the content you're, you're covering and, um, and find to be important that, uh, namely, you know, the, the topic of neurodiversity and the need for better understanding and changes in the mental health field regarding the differences that exist among us. In, the, in your definition of the power of different... Tell me what that is from your point of view. Sure. Um, It is the fact that there are certain differences that occur in the brain from a a wiring perspective, I'll say, um, that may cause one to present with some symptoms, symptoms of depression, anxiety, difficulty concentrating, um, maybe difficulty socially relating to others. Um, maybe it's even psychotic thinking, or maybe it is a learning disability of some sort, but those same differences in wiring that may cause particular symptoms often have a very strong correlation to, uh, wiring that also presents as a very particular strength. So the potential for great ability or, you know, literally that great ability that often leads to extraordinary success or talent, um, and even in some instances, genius. Now, you've covered so many different topics. I enjoyed watching a lot of your videos online uh, yesterday. I was looking at a bunch of them. Um, What are your favorites, if there is such a thing? Like, how do you connect all the dots? See, what we're trying to do at differentbrains.com is get all the different intellectual disabilities, neurological uh, differences, brain differences, whatever you want to call it. And I always hesitate to use the word disability. I prefer differences. But whether you're talking about mental health differences or developmental differences or neurological differences... In the way my brain works, they're all connected, and a lot of the same tools that will work for Alzheimer's will also work for autism, up to a point, of course. How do you see that whole spectrum, and pick out some of your, quote, favorites? 
Well, you know, I do come from a medical model um, and uh, I'm an MD and um, I really have spent my life, my career, mostly looking at what have been termed, you know, from the diagnostic and statistical manual, very particular mental illnesses. But what I've come to understand over like 24 years of practice now um, and other things that I have uh, chosen to do, series of talks that I've looked, you know, that I've invested in for many years looking at the histories and the biographies of iconic geniuses, really, of all time. I'm talking about Einstein and uh, Hemingway, Van Gogh, Beethoven, um, that all of them that I chose to talk about really because they were the icons, not because they had illness. They all had illness. They were all, they all had struggles that today would be defined as illness. So that combined with the work that I've done, combined with the uh, burgeoning neuroscience um, that is really exploding right now in terms of our imaging abilities to look at wiring and structure and neurotransmitter levels, activity, um, really, I would say these have conspired to bring me to the point that I am at now. You know, in my early days, I would have been talking to you about, well, you know, here are the criteria for major depressive disorder and, you know, that's what we need to look at and that's what we need to treat. And I'm not saying that we don't need to look at those symptoms and we don't need to treat them. We certainly do. But what I've come to understand from the data available um, is that, and from the work that I've done, is that we really all have very different brains from a wiring perspective. And it doesn't matter to me whether you call it neurology or whether you call it psychiatry. You know, again, these are just labels. The brain is an organ. Um, and if you want to study that organ and understand it more deeply, you will have to understand that there is more variation between people brain to brain um, than any other organ essentially, and that our wish to put them in very specific boxes so that we can understand and treat them and have insurance companies reimburse us for those treatments um, has really fallen short of what is in all reality this tremendous bell-shaped curve, this great variation, um, and that trying to also label them as good or bad is also extremely primitive and does not get to the reality that um, these differences have uh, obviously potential downsides, um, but they also have potential real upsides. And, um, you know, part of the work that if you ask me, what is what is one of the most important things I think I've been working on for many years in different at different angles? It's the issue of stigma. Um, because that is the number one thing that keeps people from getting help. Um, and so I realize that if we're looking at it the wrong way and we're looking at it all as a negative, which we have been, then of course there's stigma will remain. You know, there's just no other way to, to feel about it. But if we looked at it with a more truthful eye, with a more data-driven eye, then we would see that um, while 
there might be things that you want to get help for so that you can feel better and enjoy yourself in life more. At the same time, there are uh, positives to be um, mined, to be utilized, to be um, really uh, used so that, uh, one, you can have success and independence and um, and maybe, but maybe more importantly, to feel good about yourself and to realize that uh, the reductionistic view um, doesn't really make sense. And therefore, there's no reason for the stigma that we that we hold from the olden days um, to, to keep pursuing. So that that has been sort of my motivation um, for the book. I chose to really explore that by choosing some of the most common symptoms that people suffer. So anxiety and, and the most common symptoms that people came to me for in my practice, um, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, meaning, you know, sometimes you have episodes of feeling depressed. Sometimes you have episodes of feeling what's called hypomanic or manic, um, difficulty relating to others, which People might identify meaning you're somewhere on the autism spectrum, depending on how pervasive the difficulty is. Um, difficulty with distractibility and concentration and impulsiveness. Again, people might have been told they have attention deficit disorder or attention deficit with hyperactivity disorder um, or something in the, um, I would say, odd thinking realm. You know, people who have really unusual odd thoughts that don't seem to fit with thoughts that a lot of people have, um, and difficulty with learning of some sort. So reading processing or math processing, that these things are the most common things that people present with. And, um, and so I really tried to address both the understanding of those from a wiring perspective and an experiential perspective, but also the very particular strengths that tend to come with each of these individual symptom clusters. Um, what I'd like to do is ask you about your psychobiographies, because you have interviewed some of the most famous people in the world and gotten them to open up to you. And I'll let you drop the names, but they're pretty, pretty, there's a murderer's row there. I mean, this is pretty impressive stuff. Can you comment on that? Because that helps so much mainstreaming what we're talking about and re removing the stigma. So um, I do th I do think that's true. I think, you know, um, it is human nature to look for role models, to look for people to emulate and to be inspired. And, um, and I think that um, when the role model has had the same struggle that you've had, it you know, that's a real opportunity to to uh, to bring someone in and to help them understand that, in fact, they, too, can be inspired and uh, and reach their full potential. So um, I, I did speak to some wonderful people for the book. Um, they ranged from, I guess, as I, I mentioned, David Sedaris, who is one of my favorite writers, actually. He's so funny, uh, but clearly absolutely uses his anxiety issues, his OCD issues, which he suffered quite extensively and still does to some degree, but he used them very particularly to um, inform his writing literally in content, but also in style. He uses it in his work ethic 
in terms of being someone who has churned out an amazing amount of material and uh, goes through and is quite perfectionistic about it, um, which is part of the reason that quite honestly, it's as wonderful as it is. Um, so he, um, I think he's very forthcoming about the connection for him between anxiety, OCD, and his great success in being a, a, a comedy writer um, and an incisive writer. Um, other people, let's see, um, Andrew Solomon, another writer who is, um, you know, prize winning, um, noonday demon, far from the tree, really outstanding, a go-to writer when it comes to, um, some of the most tragic news stories of our time of the new town shootings, et cetera. People go to him, you know, the, the father of the shooter went to him to tell his story and so on, because he is so able to tap into people's emotional states. He has an empathy and um, an intuitiveness and he connects with others and then he can put it in his writing in an astonishing way. Um, he's, you know, his, his writings are, you know, well, they're very, very prized and revered. Um, and he would say that his depressions greatly informed um, his ability to have that kind of empathy and sensitivity and go to that dark place in his writings, but that also he had up times, hypomanic times where he has very creative thoughts. And that's, that's a characteristic that absolutely comes along with hypomania, highly original out of the box thinking ability to produce at a, at a very high level, um, a lot of content um, along the lines of a different kind of, talk series that I've done, this, these psychobiographies looking at historic people. So, you know, uh, along the lines of Andrew Solomon would be like Ernest Hemingway, who, um, you know, clearly uh, called upon his dark times to write some very sensitive and tragic material, but his books were all written clearly during hypomanic periods where he had high energy, um, voluminous ability for output, and um, and highly original and creative thoughts. Um, so that that is there's no doubt about that. Um, sadly, you know Ernest Hemingway never got treatment. He ultimately committed suicide. Um, so I want to be clear that these people all suffer mightily, and they should 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 get treatment. Most of these things are highly treatable, um, and it does not diminish the strength that comes along with. Um, the issue if you get treatment. So that's important for people to understand. But I also talked to many um, wonderful scientists. Um, for example, Dr. Beryl Benesaraf, who invented or discovered, I should say, the method of detecting Down syndrome in a fetus in utero. Um, and she oh. has quite severe dyslexia. Uh, but her visual spatial abilities mean that things pop up for her on um, x-ray and on ultrasound and in other imaging that she sees, she sees patterns in a way that you and I can't see if we don't have dyslexia. It really just jumped out. She didn't even realize that this was like her gift um, until a radiologist pointed out to her that she was seeing things that other people were not seeing, including himself, um, until she showed them. So she was able to use that to, to create this new testing method, which has been so important. Um, in the autism spectrum, I spoke with a, a wonderful young man, Matt Savage, who um, is an incredible uh, jazz composer and um, musician. 
He has played with the Boston Symphony Orchestra as a teenager. He played, I mean, he played with a band as a elementary school kid, um, you know, and was composing music really in his single digit years. Um, has autism. Um, I wouldn't even say what we would, would have called Asperger's, but really now it's called mild autism. He really, he has autism. Um, but he has this incredible, perfect pitch ability to use pattern recognition to compose, um, ability to what we would call um, perseveration on the negative side, but really that, that ability to do something over and over and over again makes him an incredible jazz musician because jazz is patterns of music repetitively put together over and over again um, in different ways. And so he is extraordinarily talented. He, uh, he is uh, going on to get an advanced degree in music and uh, past college and is also um, has multiple CDs out and is now teaching music to other autistic kids. So he's a very special young man. Um, I, I, you know, I, I also feel that the wonderful historical characters that I um, have covered by speaking with historians and calling the data about them, the writings of Charles Darwin, which made it clear that he had a real anxiety disorder and probably OCD, but clearly panic, panic disorder, um, which made him so attuned to every detail and really driven and perfectionistic about ultimately his theories of evolution. Um, uh, just recently did uh, Diane Arbus, the photographer who, you know, first female photographer of her uh, notoriety and merit and um, prize winning and really changed the face of, of the art of photography, um, but struggled with terrible recurrent depression, um, which was likely bipolar disorder. Also very, very out of the box original thinking, which is what informed her her photography as art. Do you have a copy of your book handy to put up? The Power of Different by Gail Saltz, MD. Great, great stuff, Gail. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. How do people find out more about you? So if people want to find out more, they can go to my website, www drgailsaltz.com. That's D-R-G-A-I-L-S-A-L-T-Z.com. Um, they can tweet me if they have a question um, at Dr. Gail Saltz. Um, the book is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much wherever books are found. And the podcast, which is also called The Power of Different, where I interview different, um, really cool, interesting, highly successful people who've all had a struggle. Um, so, you know, from, you know, astrophysics, uh, thinker, Howard Bloom to, um, Dr. Drew Pinsky, who probably many of you have heard of, um, to, uh, Stacey London, fashion designer who really struggled with a terrible eating disorder, um, to, I, I mean, it's, it's such a very, you know, the editor in chief of the Atlantic magazine. So people who are really mainstream, highly successful. Um, I just spoke to a wonderful, very, very well-known chef um, who has struggled with bipolar disorder. And they all talk about the ways that they've overcome and managed their issue, but also found their very particular strength and use that to be 
the highly successful people that you will recognize today. And people are very uh, wonderfully candid and open. Um, so they really tell their story. And that is called the Power of Different Podcast. And it is available on iTunes or on my, you can go to it from my website. Well, Dr. Gail Saltz, thank you so much for being a guest here on Exploring Different Brains. You've been a great inspiration to me personally today because you've got the whole big picture that all our brains are different and there's a lot of great strengths there and it's the power of different. And thank you very much for joining us, Gail. Well, thank you so much for having me and for furthering the important message that, in fact, we all do have different brains and it's our job to uh, make the most of what we've got. Thank you so much. Thank you. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.